uh, Jerry used to talk about the placebo and the nocebo effect. So most of us are always um, taking in negative suggestions from the environment, from our acculturation, from the doctors that we meet, and all this huge amount of nocebo or negative non-pleasing information that we're taking in is true that we then go and respond to. So if the doctor says to you, you got uh, five days to live, people will promptly die on the fifth day. Yes. Right? It's, yeah. it's well documented, right? And they lose hope. So mm-hmm. there's no question that um, uh, that using imagery actively is uh, a form of placebo where you're using your intention and your will to plant seeds of healing in yourself and weed out beliefs and images and feelings and thoughts that are not helpful for you. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Rachel Epstein. Rachel is the director of the American Institute for Mental Imagery, which provides postgraduate training for healthcare professionals in mental imagery, dreams, and allied techniques. She received her training in mental imagery from internationally recognized authorities, Madame Colette Aboulker Muscat and Gerald Epstein, MD, her late husband and founder of AIMI. Rachel and Dr. Epstein collaborated on numerous books, including the Encyclopedia of Mental Imagery and Healing into Immortality. Working for more than 30 years by Dr. Epstein's side, Rachel learned how the powerful effect of using imagery could unlock trauma in the body and mind and aid in the healing process. She co-authored Reversing the Trauma of War, PTSD Help for Veterans, Active Duty Personnel and Their Families. Her latest book, co-authored with her husband, is due out in 2022 and called We Are Not Meant to Die, Building a Spiritual Body of Light. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Paul and Rachel on imagination and healing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, we're going to talk about imagination and healing with Rachel Epstein. I'm super excited to share Rachel with you. I've read uh, a few of her books and her husband's books together. She will explain who her husband was. He was a pioneer in using visualization and imagination for healing. And, um, I've really enjoyed my preparation time with Rachel. She's really an intelligent woman. She's taken me through several visualization practices, which were really amazing. And we're going to do some here today. So, Rachel, welcome. Hi, it's great to be with you. Rachel, just to start off with, why don't you give us the titles of your books that are available to people out there? So the first book I'd suggest for people is called Healing Visualizations. Creating Health Through Imagery. It's uh, written by my husband, and it has uh, over uh, 70 imagery exercises for physical and emotional healing. Uh, Another book he wrote was Kabbalah for Inner Peace, uh, which is uh, for daily daily issues that you uh, confront, you know, finding a job, insomnia, pain issues. So it's just your sort of quotidian problems that you might have day to day using imagery to, uh, to help reverse those. And uh, I recently published a book called Reversing the Trauma of War. And it was uh, a book on p- using imagery for PTSD. And although the vignettes are for um, our war heroes, 
uh, it really is applicable to anyone. Yeah, that's because the one you really just about, sent me, right? Uh, yeah, it's really a stress reduction book, how we can handle the day, again, how to chip away at our uh, hypervigilance and stress syndromes that we're experiencing now. So you could use it for all sorts of stress issues because the vets, the veterans have suffered all through them. You know, they've suffered through driving issues, triggers of smells and sights. Uh, they've uh, addictions. They've had depression. They've had grief. They've had uh, isolation. Uh, they've had sexual abuse. So that's all contained in the book. Yeah, I looked through it. It was very well done. So uh, that's a great recommendation for everybody. And, you know, the other thing, too, is we I think we might be getting into there's a lot of PTSD that's come out of the whole pandemic issue. So it might be very helpful for people. Um, Absolutely. In that regard and, as well. Right. And there's some uh, on my YouTube channel, which is called Dr. Jerry Epstein, you can also find COVID uh, imagery exercises to feel protected uh, from, from the virus, from other people, from catching it. And also on the website, we, I have a lot of uh, COVID exercises. Great. And we're going to go through some today as well. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Rachel, you and your husband, Jerry Epstein, uh, who's an MD, have been leaders in the use of imagery for healing for quite some time. Can you share an overview of your developmental history and how you came to use mental imagery? Because I think that's interesting. And I like the, the listeners to kind of get a sense of connection to where the, the person that I'm sharing with is coming from. So I'll tell you where I, I came from. Um, I came from an incredibly stable household uh, and uh, with a very, very Jewish background. So I really had a lot of uh, training already in the Western spiritual tradition and was really a spiritual seeker from very young and at the same time was very connected to nature. I uh, had become an environmental conservation major when I was in um, college, although I never went forward with it. And instead, I went into Wall Street for about eight years and uh, learned all about computers and found myself to be very bored. And Jerry, at that point, who I had been studying with, suggested that I go to a pilgrimage myself. And I went to, um, I went to Fintorn. I went to Turkey where I, I went to Rumi. I stumbled upon Rumi's um, uh, grave site. I didn't even realize who Rumi was in 1984. He wasn't so popularized. And then I went off to uh, India uh, and uh, studied Vipassana meditation there. I had a, a stint with Muktananda. I studied yoga. So, and then when I came back, I left Wall Street. I had had enough of computers and I thought I wanted to do something holistically. And I ended up studying Chinese medicine. And in the usual way that I've approached my life, although I'm risk adversive, whenever I have to make a big decision, I sort of just jump in. So I jumped into studying acupuncture when it wasn't legalized in New York State. Uh, and I had never had an acupuncture treatment nor knew anything about Chinese medicine. But my husband said it was a good idea. So, and I was bored with everything else I had been doing. So I did that. And at that point, I really expanded my understanding about the mind body connection. Uh, I went to a very unusual school, which has since closed, but it, it uh, the, uh, the person who had set it up used to, you know, he had just really interesting people. So I met people like Thomas Hanna. Oh, uh, I was wow. introduced to, uh, he taught at the school. Uh, and I was also introduced to other body workers like Kelman, you know, emotional yes, anatomy. Kelman, yeah. 
So that always in preparation for me to really understand imagery from a mind-body perspective, because imagery is so intimately connected, not only with the visual senses, but with our bodies and with our feelings. And the big question was always, where am I on this? I, I don't think this is an accurate question, but they used to tell us all the time, well, are you, where are you? Are you on the mind or the body spectrum? Where do you put yourself as you, uh, you know, delve into this area? So imagery, of course, is seemingly more mind-oriented, and it is a type of mind medicine, but it's really an integrated mind-body medicine, because with our images, we can uncover our beliefs and our feelings and our sensations that are all encapsulated in the image. So that was my background. Um, and when I met Jerry, uh, I remember I was coming over because I wanted to start studying with him, and he had just ended amicably a 30-year marriage. And uh, I thought he was going to tell me he was moving to Hawaii, and that was it. You know, I wasn't going to study with him. And instead, he said to me, do you want to be my spiritual partner? And I said to him, no, I want to be your wife and have children. <laughs> right? That's so cute. Well, you're not, didn't, you're not really afraid to jump in at all. <laughs> well, you know, he always said, you know, you know within five minutes if this is the person for you. And I don't know if I knew that he was the right person, but I knew that whatever he had, I wanted a piece of that. There was something just, uh, and there was a 22-year difference between us. So it wasn't like we were making an easy decision. I was 28. He was uh, 50. Uh, but he didn't hesitate. He had never had children. And, uh, you know, he was 60 and he was still having children, you know, sleeping with him in bed. So it really showed just how incredibly adaptive he was. And I think that to be in the healing field, and if you want to heal, the key word is being able to adapt. Boy, and do I know that. that. I, uh, Mona came when I was 54, and then Zoe came uh, when I was 57. And so here I am 60 with little kids in bed. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have to go into it. Then you completely understand. <laughs> yeah, they they really keep you younger, I think. I think they really do keep you younger and very flexible and really uh, right on the cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. You, you learn to, you know, go with the flow and not take things too seriously and certainly not to sweat the small stuff. <laughs> exactly. I think being an older parent actually has a lot of advantages that uh, are, are really overlooked a lot. I came to work uh, yesterday at four o'clock in the morning. And when I reached to grab my door handle, it was covered in some kind of syrup or so it was so <laughs> sticky. I had to peel my hand off and I went, Oh, oh my kids have been over here with ice cream or something. And you know, <laughs> it's just like you, 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 when I, when I, before my, you know, my first son's 42. So I kind of forgot all about all the uh. rigors, but the, uh, you, you learn, you just got to let go of having everything clean, orderly and perfect. And, you know, my living room, which I used to love to just relax in at night now looks like a bomb went off in it every day. So I just kind of <laughs> move all the toys and the blankets and the bits of chewed up dog food and everything else aside and just pretend I'm in my perfect, beautiful space. <laughs> I, I think Jerry would have quite understood you. He always wanted to have a separate study and he, he had an office, but he never got, he carved out a little, you know, chair where he could write. 
And I, I remember he was editing a book in the 90s of his teacher's uh, poetry. And the, the blues came, you know, they were the sheets of the, uh, that you had to review. And my daughter, who was maybe, I don't know, three, she came and she knocked a bottle of ink all over them. Oh my. And, you know, he just had to have that moment of, <laughs> you know, not reacting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very good spiritual practice to learning patience and adaptability and flexibility. Absolutely. Uh, Rachel, can you share some examples uh, or cases of where people have healed with imagery practices and give us an idea how long it takes to get relief or benefits using healing imagery in various circumstances, sure. just so people can so have a I'm sense gonna, of it. I'm going to give you just a little story about Jerry, because I didn't tell you and what how he came to be in this work of imagery. Yeah, please do. So he, was, uh, he had been uh, wanted to be a sports writer, but his uh, mother uh, didn't find that to be an acceptable career, and they he was really pushed into medicine. So there were two doctors and two lawyers in his family, he had four boys and he didn't really want to go into medicine, but he was very interested in psychiatry. So he capitulated and became a psychiatrist and he went through a Freudian analysis for many, many years. And he became a Freudian analyst. And, um, I think he was finding it quite boring. And he went to Israel with his then wife, who was an excellent writer and, um, she was interviewing uh, different women after the uh, Yom Kippur War in 1973, and they were both sitting in Zen. They had done a lot of spiritual searching. She was a very ardent seeker, and, and he also became an ardent seeker from her. So he was sitting in Zen, and he's walking out, and this young Frenchman comes up and says to him, oh, you're a psychiatrist. You know, I was healed from a lifelong depression by an Algerian uh, Jewish woman in three sessions. And my husband scoffed. What, how can you be healed of lifelong depression in three sessions? Uh, but he put it aside and, and uh, his wife was then came and said to him, you know, I'm going to interview this woman and she's Algerian. And a voice in his head said, get up and go. And he went uh, and he met his, who, Colette, who was this Algerian Jewish woman, who um, herself had helped um, orchestrate the uh, response to the Nazis in North Africa. She had been one of the prime movers in that, in uh, saving North Africa from uh, Hitler, or at least Algeria. Uh, in any case, so he meets her and uh, she says to him, and he puts it together that this is the woman who this Frenchman had been cured by in three sessions from this lifelong depression. So he sits with her and she's talking to him and um, she's telling him that she uses this process called imagery and he's remembering that Freud actually had an imagery session and he used imagery to... to tell people how to relax. And he would tell people, go imagine yourself on a train going through and you're looking at um, what's passing you by, all the landscape, and just describe it without filtering it. So Jerry said, okay, so, you know, Freud did this, it must be okay. And then she said to him a non sequitur, she said, in what direction, what happened, in what direction does a train go? And he's hemming and hawing. He's thinking, well, some of them go mostly straight. Some go up a mountaintop. What does she want from me? And he's getting sweating. And he finally says, he makes a position, it goes forward. And then she said, well, what happens if you change the axis of the train? 
And somehow at that moment, he had an epiphany and an opening that has lasted, had lasted his whole life because he understood at that moment, um, he sort of disappeared is how he later came to understand this epiphany because she was saying to him, the world isn't just cause and effect. There's an invisible world and there's a, there's a vertical axis that we can uh, navigate. And then there's the horizontal axis. And what happens if you switch into this, this vertical axis? She didn't say that. That was his experience. And at that moment, he gave up being a psychiatrist, normative psychiatrist. He gave up whatever he thought was his identities. And he devoted himself to being his, uh, her student. And he went and he worked with her uh, back and forth in America and Israel uh, for many years. And then he finally graduated. And then he continued to work with her after that. But um, this was a momentous thing about seeing that we live in two worlds. We live in this invisible world and we live in the horizontal world. So you asked me, uh, how long does it take to heal from a lifelong depression? For this Frenchman, only three sessions. She did her longer process, uh, which was called waking dream, which was a very, you take a dream and then you go back into the dream when you're awake. And you explore the dream. And it has very little intervention or scripting. It's a very freeing experience. And you discover what you need to discover in this storehouse consciousness, in this invisible realm that's now giving you information about what you need to heal, how to be creative, etc., how to transform self. So uh, let me give you some other examples that I know. Uh, Jerry had a... Um, uh, an actor named High Cell who came to work with him because he had uh, prostate cancer, and they told him it wasn't it was inoperable and you're going to die from this. And uh, Jerry just did uh, one session with him, and he was a good imager. And uh, the guy and and Jerry said, "Fine, go away, practice the imagery." And the man comes back, High comes back, and he says. Uh, my tests are normal, I, but I want to do more work. And Jerry says, what do you want to do more work from? You're fine. And that was it. And you can hear High and Cell speaking about his experience. I have it um, on our YouTube channel. Cool. So you can go back and hear that. And another man who uh, had open heart surgery, and he also, um, you know, they take, when they're doing open heart surgery, they take a vein or, or an artery from um, your leg and they put it into your heart. They graft it in. So he had a successful uh, open heart surgery, but he came down with gangrene in the leg. And they said to him, the doctor said to him, you know, we're going to have to go and amputate because it's not healing. And uh, Jerry had a wonderful student. Uh, who at that point uh, called up Jerry on Easter Sunday and said, look, my, uh, you know, I, I have this client and what, you know, can we do anything for him? And Jerry and she worked out an imagery exercise. She went and she gave it to him on Easter Sunday, which is a resurrective day, as we know. And he and his mother worked. And within a few days, they had reversed the condition. And it was very, you know, and besides, no one wants to lose a leg, but he was a musician and he needed his leg you know, to stand up and do his work. So uh, he reversed the gangrene and the circulation came back and the doctors were astounded that they didn't need to uh, amputate. So that those were very quick. 
Uh, he's done, uh, Jerry did a whole bunch of asthma studies uh, where I think he gave people three sessions of asthma uh, imagery, maybe. They, they met for three times with him. Some of them did very, very well, and they got off their asthma medications. He had a student who was an asthmatic who ran a marathon without, her, without uh, asthma medication. She wrote a book about it called um, uh, Asthma Free. You can probably still pick up uh, a, a copy of it. The Gregory story of the man who healed himself from gangrene is documented on a, uh, a lovely uh, DVD by Penny Price called The Healing Field. And it has several healers. And my husband is always at the end because he's always the most far out. <laughs> There's great. no way. Whenever books have been read, he's always at the end because he's really an extreme pioneer in, in, in his vision that we really can heal ourselves through the use of our mind. People have turned around babies quickly. Uh, of course, dreams give healing messages. Uh, imagery is also diagnostic, so you can go in and see if you're ill. So there's many uses. Um, I'm trying to think what other things. People have a lot of stomach issues. They often heal very, very well with imagery. Uh, colon cancer. I knew uh, a, a friend of ours had colon cancer. He used chemo, exercise, imagery, and sauna. So he had a four-pronged approach. Uh, infertility, we have books written on infertility. Jerry had a, a woman who came who was infertile. Her, her FSH was too high. She conceived. Again, she used imagery as a primary modality, but I think she also worked with nutrition and other holistic uh, uh, modalities. And her book is called Inconceivable. There's another book on infertility um, by a, a fellow colleague of my husband's, and I think it's called Dream Birth has many imagery exercises just for infertility and for issues around conceiving. I worked with uh, someone who had uh, used the book and she conceived very quickly after being told she couldn't conceive. That's great. So, you know, I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, and, and the book, Healing Visualizations, is exactly comes out of Jerry's practice of his empirical work with people for all sorts of illnesses, hepatitis. Uh, I remember he had somebody, um, chicken soup for the soul. Someone came and had uh, hepatitis, and he gave her an imagery exercise for it. That's great. Hi, everybody. You know, it's been a long time since I or any of the Czech faculty have presented at a live event, but today I'm excited to announce that myself, Matt Walden, Angie Czech, and Alex Pachalik will be presenting at this year's CanFit Pro Global Conference, August 10th through 14th. I presented at CanFit Pro for 19 consecutive years, so it's nice to be back after some rest. I'm even more excited to announce that I'll be giving my first ever talk based on my forthcoming book, Spirit Gym. It would be safe to say this is my magnum opus, and I've been developing it for many years, and I'm two years into writing it now and almost done. My session is called Spirit Gym, How to Turn Challenges into Opportunities for You and Your Clients, and I'll be talking about the fact that we are not only living in a spirit gym, but one in which we come to learn how to celebrate and learn to love, live, and have more freedom, and I will share the 10 essential principles we can all use to be more conscious of how we use the power of our hearts and minds to create. For anybody in a leadership or coaching role, these principles will greatly enhance your ability to help people identify their chief dream, goal, or objective in life, 
heal, and learn to use their mind to manifest what they want effectively and efficiently. I'll be presenting Saturday, August the 13th from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And best of all, my presentation will be online so you can catch it no matter where you are. I suspect you'll find Spirit Gym fascinating, cutting edge, and highly practical in your lives and when supporting others in living the life they want. The Czech faculty will also be presenting some excellent sessions. My wife, Angie Czech, will be presenting two sessions, Burned Out, Over 35 But Ready to Gain Control, and Lifestyle Coaching for a New Era, The Integration of Holism and Modern Science. Both Angie's presentations will be on Friday, August the 12th. Our global head of education, Matt Walden, will present the Next Level Training Pro, Advanced Prehab and Rehab in the Gym Environment on August 13th, and breaking into professional sports conditioning, how to train any athlete in any sport on August the 14th. And finally, Alex Pachalik will be presenting the Czech approach to Swiss ball conditioning as a one-day live intensive on August the 10th. This intensive in particular is a fantastic introduction to my Swiss ball conditioning system, so I highly recommend you get to Toronto to take it. If you want to sign up, go to checkinstitute.com that's c-h-e-k institute.com forward slash ken fit pro 2022 that's checkinstitute.com forward slash ken fit pro 2022 hope to see you all there what do you think the connection is between the relationship between the placebo effect and the positive intention and use of visual imagery, because it seems to me they're operating on the same psychophysical pathways or, you know, mind, brain, body pathways. Cause, uh, there's absolutely, absolutely, you, you know, we, uh, Jerry used to talk about the placebo and the nocebo effect. So most of us are always um, taking in negative suggestions from the environment, from our acculturation, from the doctors that we meet, and all this a huge amount of nocebo or negative, non-pleasing information that we're taking in is true that we then go and respond to. So if the doctor says to you, you got uh, five days to live, people will promptly die on the fifth day. Yes. Right? It's, yeah. it's well documented, right? And they lose hope. So mm -hmm. there's no question that um, uh, that using imagery actively is uh, a form of placebo, where you're using your intention and your will to plant seeds of healing in yourself and weed out beliefs and images and feelings and thoughts that are not helpful for you. And I think there's an even deeper level in the imaginal work where you go beyond the personal eye and you really access information from other realms of existence. Absolutely. But there's no question that placebo is at work in everything, everywhere. And the question is, why are we not studying the placebo effect instead of just saying it's a... a um, Drug deficiency. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's um, interesting too, because, you know, I work with sick people most of my career, um, you know, worked in chiropractic clinics, worked in a large physical therapy clinic, owned a physical therapy clinic, worked with people with all kinds of diseases. And one of my regular practices was I just, whenever I would be on my way to work in the morning, I would just visualize myself as strong and vital. And I visualized 
that my life force energy was pouring out of me and not only as a gift to other people, but it created like a, an egg or a cocoon around me. Mm -hmm. And I just believed that I didn't need to get sick, that I, I had, there was no benefit to me. And I haven't missed a day of work due to illness in, in my entire 38 year career. And I don't even remember when I was ill before my career began. The last illness I remember really was being a child and going through the normal immune development stages. But I really believe that it's very important for people that don't have an awareness of the power of the placebo effect. And in one of my books in my library, it's by Jeffrey Hodson, a famous theosophist. He has quite a comprehensive section on the placebo effect. And he talks about an experiment that a doctor did that he knew because the doctor was curious. He had learned about it from Jeffrey Hodson. And the doctor was very curious and wanted to run his own experiment. So he went home and he waited for, he talked to his wife and said, I want to do this experiment with our son. Would you participate? And she reluctantly agreed. But when his son got up in the morning, he said to his son, he says, how are you feeling? And he, his son said, I feel fine. Why? And, and his and dad, the doctor said, well, you're looking like maybe you're coming down with the flu. And then when he saw his mother, when he went to breakfast, his mom said, how are you feeling? He said, fine. Why? He said, oh, you're looking like you're coming down with the flu. He'd also organized with the school teacher to do the same thing because he wanted to really test this. Uh -huh. And so when he went, the kid went to school, the school teacher says, how are you doing today? He says, oh, I'm fine. Why? And the school teacher said, well, you look like you're coming down with the flu. And within a couple of hours, the kid started having all the symptoms of the flu and had to go home. And so then his father explained to him what was going on. And if I remember right, then, then the, it turned around. But it, it was just an interesting um, conversation in this book by Hodson showing that you know, a doctor was willing to test it. And sure enough, he found out even on his own son that it did ultimately produce flu-like symptoms and result in, in the kid having to go home. And then when the kid learned the truth, it turned itself around again. And I bring this up, uh, even though it wasn't really in our list of things to talk about, because with, with what's going on in the world today, there is just one no, uh, nocebo bombardment after another. And people they don't really have a, a, a very, they don't really have very much discipline to determine what is or isn't the truth. And they just believe everything they see, but there's so much negative stuff on every level. It's no wonder there's so much depression and suicide and anxiety and abu uh, drug abuse since the beginning of COVID. So I think hearing this is, is really an invitation to everybody to, you know, create what you want in your mind and see your life as you want it. There's always trouble in the world and there's always sick people in the world and there always will be. That's just the nature of how consciousness unfolds itself. And if you think a negative thought or you have a fear, I always tell people, ask yourself what your dream is in that regard. Well, if my dream is to be healthy, then I take the negative thought Oh, you're going to get coronavirus. And I say, my dream is that I'm happy, healthy, and whole. Flip the thought over. I'm going to get coronavirus. I don't need coronavirus. I'm healthy. And energize that and fill yourself with the positive emotion. And you keep 
putting energy into the neural pathways that support your dream instead of falling into the repetitive behavior of telling yourself something bad's going to happen. And I, I think that's a basic skill that a lot of people don't get taught. I think you're absolutely right because we're really not taught how our beliefs are manifesting as our experience. And I think the just um, before we return back to that, you said every day you went to work and you thought happy like a I thought of it more like a Taurus that you're not you're 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 both it's spiraling out and you're also spiraling that energy back in yeah like when you said it was an egg yeah but when you spiraled that energy out you also sent it out to all of the clients and patients that you saw because you were seeding them with a new belief that you believed that it was possible for them to heal sure absolutely. and that's incredibly powerful because often when people would come to, uh, particularly when they're very, very ill, everybody has lost hope in their being able to reverse the situation. And here you are as an example, of course you can reverse it. Everything's possible. And um, it has tremendous power for other people. And sometimes I think the best therapists are those who can actually just reinforce hope and possibilities for change. And it doesn't matter really often exactly what the therapeutic model is, they'll all, you know, work together to, um, to help a person heal and they'll be attracted to the model that they most need or resonate with. So you said something else about reversing that people need, and this is a fundamental issue, I think with all healing is they have to reverse the conditioning that they've been exposed to. And imagery is a reversing system. So just as uh, you reverse a constricted muscle, but sometimes you first go and you contract it and then yeah. you expand it. So we do that with imagery. You go first inward and to the point of where the difficulty is. And then from there, you reverse the situation through an image which embodies all of our sensations, beliefs, our thoughts, etc. That's great. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned to me that was, I had a teacher who said, if you don't want to be depressed, stop reading the news because <laughs> all the news does is reinforces everything you've read before. There's nothing new in the news. Right. What we're going through to, in America is not different than what's happened all through history. Yes. It, it's just a repetition of the will to power versus the will to love, uh, you know, a sense, the small self versus the large self, you know, it's all the same. So reading the news is not helpful and seeing, as you asked me, seeing, uh, you know, negative images and surrounding yourself with negative people and negative images is harmful to your health. It can be. Yes. Uh, years ago, when I worked in a large physical therapy clinic, almost every morning they were talking about what was in the news and they would often be surprised that I was unaware of what was going <laughs> right. on in the news. And Right. They said, why don't you watch the news? I said, because if there's anything really important that's actually happening in the world, it'll only take about five minutes before you or somebody else walks up to tell me about it. <laughs> right. That's so, terrific. You know, right. the news, real news always spreads fast. Like if someone's house is on fire, somebody you know dies, your phone will ring, somebody will tell you. Um, you made me think of something I was... I gave a workshop uh, this weekend on power animals and spirit guides. And Angie did a day of nature shamanism. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the students and someone was asking me, you know, how, how did you develop all this stuff? And one thing led to another, but I said to them, you know, I said, 
I've been doing this for 38 years. And when I reached a certain point in my career where I developed what is now the curriculum of the Czech Institute, I pondered how it was that I ever got anybody healthy as their therapist when I was a young, you know, 22 year old beginner. And I, and I said, but when I look back on it, it's just that I had so much love and passion for helping people. I think I just infected people with it and it compensated for my lack of skill. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think that's incredibly true. I remember being in an acupuncture clinic and sometimes, you know, the, these new acupuncture students who really didn't know what they were quite doing were more successful because they were really present with the person. Yes. They were actually listening in a new way and uh, they were so enthusiastic. Beginners, you know, it's like the beginner's mind. You, yes. you, you had that beginner's mind and that love and that love quality. Yes. Which is powerful. Um, Rachel, people like you and I that work with visual, visual imagery know the imagination is real. Some experts distinguish between the imaginal and the imaginary. Could you share your thoughts on the actual nature of the capacity of our imagination or imaginal faculty? And how might we distinguish between the imaginal and the imaginary? So let me start with the second half. So when we say the imaginary, what we're talking about is daydreaming and fantasy. And that's quite different than having an imaginal process. When you have a fantasy, it's repetitive, it's compulsive, it's wish-fulfilling. It doesn't lead to a creative experience, right? So when I think about people having fantasies, they have a repeated fantasy of winning a lottery what they're going to do with the money. Or uh, I, uh, or if uh, you have an ex that betrayed you, they have a continued um, idea of how they're going to betray the ex. They're going to get back to them. or you are going to murder them. It doesn't lead anywhere and it doesn't lead to action. It's, um, it's very self-involved. It's often escapist. It's self-centered. And um, it's controlled by the individual. They are thinking out how they're going to deal with the concrete world and the problems that are being presented to them. And the imaginal realm is quite different. It's a revelatory realm. So revelation means you're discovering something new, right? It's usually a spontaneous, when you're really in the imaginal realm, it's spontaneous and the experiences are fresh and new. They're non-historical and the images are without intellective input. You're not thinking intellectively and figuring it out in a cause and effect way, which is how a fantasy usually works, right? You're yes. fantasizing what I'm going to work first. I'm going to take this money, that money, who I'm going to give to right here. It's a spontaneous non-controlled event. And it is often you lose a sense of self-centeredness and you lose the sense of ordinary time and space, which you really don't usually lose with a fantasy. And it's closer to a hypnagogic state, to the state before sleep or after sleep, when we're sort of in this half dream world where we're really um, being able to access what um, someone called storehouse consciousness, yes. right? Or the imaginal realm. Mm -hmm. And this realm is not under, uh, it, it's perceived by the heart. It's not perceived by our, our linear left brain thoughts and memories necessarily. Yeah, that's great. You know, Jung describes that the imaginal function is actually our capacity for perception at its very core. So 
whether you're perceiving a dream or whether you're perceiving the smell of a rose or whether you're perceiving anything that the imaginal faculty or the means by which the soul has an experience in the horizontal dimension is, you know, even if you're bringing something in intuitively, you're still perceiving it or you wouldn't know it was there. So I, I think for a lot of people's lack of ability to understand what the imaginal is, it, it, it may be helpful for them to realize that it is the faculty of perception at its very core. It's beautiful. How important is it that a person believes in the imagination or visualization, visualization process to get effective results? And, you, you know, for there's been many of my students and even patients when I would introduce them to a, a practice or a technique and they they simply just couldn't conceive of it as being real or thought it was just too airy-fairy, hippie or whatever. And so generally, if a person hasn't got a belief in something, they already inhibit themselves. I'm curious, though, what your thoughts are with regard to the type of, of work that you do and that we're going to share here in the podcast together. Does a person need to believe in it or at least be willing to try it? Or is it sort of a non-start with non-believers? I think the way I've always taught people is, and spoken to people about this, is you want to be in a, you want to be a true scientist. So you want to suspend all of your doubts while you're doing the imagery. Just do the imagery in a uh, in an open and without preconceived ideas of how whether it works or not, and then and let it and just follow and, and be open minded. You don't have to believe in it, but just be open-minded as any scientist who's doing an experiment, in this case on yourself, is when they're practicing uh, in an experimental mode. And about imagery, because it's so quick, uh, you want to let it go. You don't want to dwell on it during the day. So do the imagery with an open mind and then go about your day. Uh, your day is going to be filled with all your habitual uh, ways of being in the world, which includes a lot of doubt and skepticism. And we'll see if the imagery can speak to a different, deeper level within you that can percolate up later. I mean, I don't explain that all to them, but that's how I think about it. So you're, you're doing it with an open mind and forgetting about it. So you don't have to dwell on whether it's good or it's bad. You're going to let it speak for itself. And like any healing practice, usually people know within, um, uh, within three weeks if something has any benefit for them. Sure. Right? I mean, I think, you know, they, they have some sense. If you're going to take an herbal tincture, it's going to work. Something's going to shift in you. It may not, you know, heal you completely, but it's going to shift. Yeah, you'll notice changes. So uh, I don't know what you do with the people that you've done uh, work with. You know, you've given them something else that uh, they related to more. So in imagery, you know, sometimes you have to work with people and have them call up an image that's really an eight to them and not scripted, because that's the most powerful. And if you can get them to link into that, it usually um, is, is they can have a deeper experience and, and build trust in it. Well, what I do typically is I say, okay, I have a question for you. Say they've got really bad back pain or digestive troubles or whatever. I say, when, when you're thinking about your challenge and you're feeling stressed about it, what kinds of images are you getting? And they'll say things, well, I, 
I see my back with a knife sticking out of it or whatever. And I say, well, you see, you're already doing it. Why don't you just try going the other direction with it? <laughs> That's beautiful. Right. So you tell them to remove the, the knife. Yes. And see what happens after they remove the knife. I say, isn't it interesting that you're, you, you're inhibited about using imagery to create relief, but you're comfortable doing it to fortify to create, your pain. Right, exactly. <laughs> I say, that's a bad habit. <laughs> right. That's, that's right. That's a bad habit. I think also with any healing process, there's also a point where they have to see that there's a social context for the illness itself or for the bad habit or for the bad eating habit, you know, whatever it is that you're working with. So it's very helpful to work with the imagery. And then also, as you know, to work with the other issues that are leading, um, that are cofactors in this. Yeah, of course. Yes. And that's one of the reasons I, it takes me four years to train people because there's a lot of pathways to get to the actual etiology. You have to really you know, look at a lot of things from right. developmental you to, trauma. You have to, to look up, up source instead of looking just at the problem, which I think is what you've done with this nice program of the four doctors. Yeah. I put question six in there, which might have been a surprise for you because we didn't talk about it. But I, I had for the first time a student in my class, um, and, you know, power animal and spirit guide work is all inner visualization. And this guy raised his hand and said, well, you know, um, I can't see internal images. I have what's called um, a aphantasia, which I'd never heard of. I had people tell me they couldn't see things inside, but I never had anyone give me the name of the diagnosis. And so I just wondered if you'd ever seen anybody with this come to you saying they can't see images, what you suggested. And later I'll tell you how I handled it with him. So, uh, there is, a, you know, there are, most people are generally good imagers and we have to understand that and explain to them that an image doesn't have to be prolonged. It's happening in no time, no space. And it's quick because it doesn't have any, um, it doesn't have any mass to it or it has mass, but it doesn't, it hasn't, doesn't have duration since it doesn't happen in time. So it's going to be fleeting. And then I explained to them that it's also a combination of all their senses. It's not just visual. It's their feelings, their sensations, their taste, their smell. And they may have one that is stronger than the others. So I might use a um, synesthesia with them and say, can you hear two glasses clinking and see if they can hear it, right? And then sometimes they'll tell you, oh, yeah, they're visualizing. Or uh, can you, um, can you uh, smell the ocean? you know, the ocean salt, the salty air, or can you see yourself at the ocean? Or you might have them remember a very pleasant memory they had and see if they can invoke it and call it up. So um, you can also have them look at a picture book of nature, have them look at it and then close their eyes after looking at it for a little bit and see if they can see it in their mind's eye. So these are all ways that we can develop it. I knew a man who didn't see he dreamt in music. He was actually, he worked, he was a Jungian lay psychologist, a brilliant man. And all he did was, uh, he worked with, with people, uh, artists using Jungian techniques to, but he also, um, he never dreamt in images. He only dreamt in music. So that was, that's the only person I ever met. I heard, somebody wrote a comment saying, 
she doesn't see mental images, but she can dream and see images. So I thought that was sort of interesting. I have a friend who works with imagery, and he said, oh, well, ask someone if they can see what's in their bedroom. You know, go back to the most concrete things that they, that they have in their lives. And the other thing is that people have a lot of tendency to verbalize rather than image and feel. So you can have them tune into what they're feeling and sensating and smelling and hearing to just sort of turn inwards because we're very quick to say, I don't see an image. Yes. Well, what you've just described is almost exactly what I did with him. I explained to the whole classroom, I said, we all have voyances, which are our non-physical senses. And I said, some of us are clairsentient. We have the ability to sense things. For example, you can feel the shape of a cup by imagining it and you know it's there. We have clairvoyance, which is inner imaging. And I said, for example, I can hold up a Christmas gift and just use my third eye, look right through the package and see what's in there. We have clairaudience, the ability to hear voices, even though there's not a physical person there. And we have intuitive knowing that comes instantly and we don't know how, but it's there. So I asked him, I said, you know, what is the one that works best for you? And I think he said intuitive knowing was his. Right. But what I did was I, and I had everyone go through the exercise and said, you know, think of somebody that you really love or a pet, a dog or a cat that you, you've had a beautiful relationship with or still do. And I said, now, can all of you identify a person or an animal? And they all said, yes. And I said, now, close your eyes and just visualize yourself the last time you were in contact with them and sharing love with them. And can you see them? And interestingly, he was able to see that. So, you know, I said, I think part of it is, is that some of us are afraid to see our thoughts. Exactly. They're, they're anxious. Yeah. So I said to him, you know, work with the senses you have, but when we're doing this power animal and spirit guide retrieval, pay attention to whether you smell an animal or whether you hear an animal or whether you feel it next to you or sense it next to you. And then once you sense or feel or somehow know it's there, then just direct your consciousness to say what is it and look at it without thinking about the fact that you're in the imaginal realm mm. just like if you felt a dog bump up against your leg but you didn't know it was a dog you'd turn and say oh it's a dog and so he was able to actually make some decent progress which was exciting but i just thought i would ask you because i wondered if you'd run across that right and there are always people who are not good imagers and um as I said, you want to, one of the best ways of which you're already doing is to connect them to, to nature, because that's the easiest entree point for most people to get into an imaginal situation. The more abstract it is, or if it has biblical imagery, you know, or religious, spiritual can be more problematic, but nature and the five, the elements, uh, you know, and the six direct, those are all things people know about. We're taking their outside world and we're turning it inward now for them to make these discoveries. So you did that beautifully with him because really the totem animals are, they're, it's, you know, embodiments of nature. And are, yes, exactly. And, and within our own DNA. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. 
I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new Mag Breakthrough formula? Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research and science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it, you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will kind of relay some of these things. But sucrosomial was a no-brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this we get more results with less caps. And that's always the goal for our company. That's excellent. I love it. I, I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. Where can people get their new magnesium breakthrough formula? All they need to do is go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d, put in Paul 10, get 10% discount on your first bottle. And of course, if you order multiple bottles, you can get an extensive discount on that as well. And like everything else, we sell 365 day money back guarantee. If this isn't the best magnesium you've ever taken in your life, we demand that you tell us and we can give you your money back. But I think you're probably going to demand, hey, can I get more of this? <laughs> that, that's probably more the truth. So that's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash living number four, and then the letter D, code Paul 10. Enjoy deeper relaxation and better nutrition with Mag Breakthrough. This, this of course, is a fairly basic question, but I think it's important for the listeners to hear what is mental imagery in your conception of how you would describe it? I mean, yeah, we know it's a mental images, but how would you describe what it is to somebody? So I always like to think of it as the mind thinking in pictures. And so the mind thinking in pictures, we have a lot of ways to think. The way that we've been trained in Western civilization is to think not with pictures, but with words. That's what we've learned. But every, so, and we spend a lot of time in that level of thinking about things with words. And here we're using, we're switching over from, let's say, what we, what science likes to call the left brain mode of being into uh, the right brain, which thinks holistically. It sees things in picture form. 
and it doesn't see in cause and effect. Words have to be in cause and effect. They happen in time. There's a linear quality. This causes this. Th that causes that. And here we want to get out of that cause and effect because uh, we're working in an a-causal world when we work with images. And for healing purposes, I think the simplest way to think about the mind thinking in pictures is that it's the way that the mind is talking to the body to heal. And we're still, of course, keeping a mind-body split here, but we'll put that aside for a minute, right? So it's what we're doing is giving instructions with uh, intentionality uh, by ourselves and to ourselves. And the body understands pictures. It understands this right brain uh, picture language that really is not just about pictures, as we said, it's about all our senses combined, including uh, what happens uh, below what we call our conscious mind, which is sort of the, the word mind, the left brain. And here below that, we're going to a different level into the imaginal realm. Yeah. I, I, I find it interesting because having studied Steiner's work quite extensively and his whole philosophy on educating children, Steiner warns that children should not be taught to read until no earlier than seven and depending on the child as late as 10 because he says it pushes them into their left brain and the left brain is the brain that breaks everything into pieces and um, there's a great book called The Biology of Transcendence by Joseph Chilton Pierce, and he breaks down very carefully how the child's brain grows and develops and shows that for the first four years, all the way up to seven years, the right brain in the child is dominant, and then it progressively shifts to more and more left brain activity. And Steiner felt the same way about math as well for the same reason. And so in Steiner school, kids are not taught to read early. They're taught to visualize, to act, to sing, to use arts and crafts, and to learn through play and, and acting uh, and using their imagination, but not reading. And um, I think that because so many people in our culture and worldwide today start learning to read very, very early, um, even in kindergarten, that they end up over-relying on their left brain and lose that, that wholeness and the imaging capacity that the right brain has. And I, I, I really think that me getting out of school and not enjoying school and not paying a lot of attention might have been my soul's way of protecting my right brain function so that I could do the work that I came to the world to do. Absolutely. I, uh, I, Steiner schools were just wonderful. I sent my, my daughter there uh, for her early education, early childhood education. Uh, and it was, uh, they were right. Why do we have to push reading so early? Kids, when they're seven and their teeth are erupting, so there's a biological uh, sign that the body is coming into a new, ad more adult awareness when those teeth erupt with the, with the adult teeth start coming in. And, you know, they didn't introduce computers till they were in ninth grade. And all of the, they never taught um, numbers and math without teaching the quality of the number, right? They always did right. sacred geometry. Everything came from the hand and then the heart and then the brain. It was, it's, uh, it's an incredibly wonderful uh, educational system. 
and the other thing I think is distinguished is that just because we have a lot of images in the outer world now, it, it, it almost loses our capacity to have inner imagery. Yeah, I call that externalization of the self where you get so externalized that you begin to identify yourself as what you're doing or what's happening in the outside world. But what happens is you end up with a person who can't sleep without the television on or if, it, if the room's quiet or there's no radio or television, they just can't handle being with themselves. Right. I, I think that's really the doorway to a crisis when you lose connection with your inner self, because without that connection, you'll never really figure out who you are. You'll always be dependent on something outside you to inform you. And I think that's a very dangerous situation. Uh, Jerry's teacher, Colette. Uh, this Algerian uh, woman, her name, full name was uh, Colette Albuquerque Muscat. She was a genius in many, many ways. And she called herself a teacher of life. And um, uh, she said about this point that you were just making, it, it, um, uh, she was talking about coming into wholeness about yourself. And she always said that a person needs to correct their self-image. And we have so much, we're so externalized in our self-image about, you know, how we look, how we graying our hair, are we buff, are we, you know, that we've completely, as you said, lost contact. And she would imaginally go and have people correct their own image as a starting point so that they would start, they were in imagery, they were now correcting their beliefs about what was wrong with them so that they'd have a space within themselves that could then manifest in the outside world that way. Because people have, and you, she, she'd have you correct an imaginal self in the mirror with, with, an imagine, with your finger. That's fantastic. I might have to use that. And it's, it's very powerful. You can use that with clients who need to change their self-image because self-image, some people will see their physical body. Other people will not. They'll have a different um, manifestation of what their self-image needs to be corrected. Yes. Where do you feel the images within us come from and what does the scientific literature say in that regard? Do you think it's the body, the brain, the mind, the spirit, or all of these together? Well, I think that from uh, the science, they don't really, for them, everything originates with the brain. Of course, it's the, yes. Right? That's what they're going to say. So consciousness is held within the brain. In spiritual life and through this particular um, path of imagery, which comes out of um, uh, a spiritual context called the Kabbalah of light, consciousness gives rise to uh, our physicality. So Everything happens from uh, a form to function. Form follows function. Yes, that's so Wolf's that means law. That the, right. It's whose law? Wolf's law. Oh, I don't know Wolf's law, but that's interesting. You'll have you to do tell know me it. You law. just said it. <laughs> right? That, that, that manifestation, materiality comes from this invisible realm and then comes into materiality. So we are... So from my point of view, do I know where an image comes from? I think imagery, from the way I've been taught, comes from outside, from this imaginal realm, from this consciousness, whether it's our consciousness or it's super consciousness, and comes into us and the brain interprets it. Now, of course, the brain and the body are intimately connected and the, brain and the body also takes it in. 
So when trauma happens from the outside, it's the body and the brain, you know, we all work together. So uh, this idea that there's a, a body-mind split really is um, not helpful. Yes. And even the term outside is a bit tricky. And, and I say to, I take my students through a little exercise to, to make a point that relates directly to this. I say, here's an exercise I want to, a, a thought exercise, write down what percentage of what you think you are is made of water. And they write it down. I go, what percentage of you is air? What percentage of you is earth, something solid, bones, tissue, not the water, not the air, but something solid? What percentage of you is fire or metabolic energy? And then they write it all down. And I say, okay, but isn't it interesting that you are writing about it? And I right. say, if you hold your hand up and look at it, and I say, what are you looking at? What do you say to me? You say, my hand. I say, ah, so you're in possession of the hand. And you say, my body. And you look at that and I say, now, if you get rid of all those elements, where are you? And they sit there and look at me kind of stunned. And then most of them figure it out. They go, well, I guess I must be everywhere and nowhere. I said, fantastic. That's what non-locality is. Point being is it seems like the image is coming from outside of our brain, but the reality of it is what we are is everywhere and nowhere simultaneously, which is just real hard for people to grapple. So I say, well, guess what? Where do you think the radio station is that's coming through your radio? It's everywhere at once. Where's the television station? It's everywhere. So, you know, you've got to get away from this causal concept of the dominoes hitting each other and realize life is a lot more mysterious and where your images are coming from, they perceive to be rising in your brain, but your brain's tuning into a signal. Just you, you don't knock a hole in your television to see if you can find Paul Newman or Bridget Bardot or mm -hmm. your favorite actor in there, you know, it's coming from a signal, but that signal is everywhere. That's beautiful. That already is very advanced for most people. Most, I may, you know, most people, it's enough to tell them to disidentify with being, you know, that they're their body or in most cases, because I deal with so many ill people that they're their illness. Because as soon as you get diagnosed, you become an illness. Yes. So you would want to dispossess yourself first of all the things that you think you are. And then from that, you know, then as you, as you said, from you want non-locality is the ultimate uh, detachment from what we think of ourselves. Well, the other thing about non-locality is when you really understand that that's the nature of the soul, you're always home. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you're, exactly. You're, you're never lost. You're always home. And, 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 you know, for people that believe in God and think God's out there, I say, guess what? What do you think created your soul? And whatever you think's out there is in here. So you don't have to have this second person relationship or third person relationship with God. You, it's, you know, there's, it's as the metaphor, as a lot of the masters say, God is closer than your breath. <laughs> right. It's beautiful. Yeah. How can we use mental imagery in our life as if you want to just some of the ways we've already talked about, but is there anything else you'd like to add to that? So I think that people usually come to me with three requests. Either they want to get something immediately that they need in their health or they're, they're you know, they're, they're healing from a physical illness or an emotional turmoil or relationship or some sort of deconditioning they want to do. 
They want to obtain something that they need. And then there are other people who come in um, uh, who, uh, and, and this deconditioning can be things not only physical, emotional, it can also be uh, correcting um, long, you know, memories and trauma or, and then there's a whole bunch of other people who just want to explore. They have everything they need in life, right? But they're not satisfied. So they come looking for a new direction in life. And then there are people who just come in and they want to use imagery for spiritual healing. So you can use it for everyday things, for sort of personal transformation, or for uh, really, um, you know, accessing uh, that non-locality and really getting in touch with that. Yes. It's interesting too, because, you know, I'm a remote viewer and when I remote view, it's, it's sort of like a reversal of the imaging process where like, if you were to guiding me through an imaging exercise, I would be following your voice and the images would be rising up based on the cues. But when I remote view, I don't know what I'm going to see. So I just empty my mind and see what rises. Like I'm looking into a mirror, but there's nothing else around. And all of a sudden the image arises on the mirror. And, and, and so it's kind of interesting how the imaging process can either be inner directed or it can be purely feminine, purely receptive. Mm -hmm. You know, Ingo, I don't know if you know Ingo Spahn. Of course, yeah. Was, so he was a good friend of ours. Wow. And he actually came to do Waking Dream with Jerry and he thought Waking Dream was the ultimate. He loved Waking Dream. And I haven't really spoken about Waking Dream, but Waking Dream is where you really go into this free flow, right? Uh -huh. uh, where he would come with a dream and then he'd do a waking dream with Jerry. And he put up a lot of Jerry's work on his site, uh, bio, I forgot what it was called, BioMind. I think it's still up, uh, even though he's passed away. So, yes, waking dream is the freest of, of all of them. And he actually gave us a session in remote viewing one day in his downstairs basement filled with all of his beautiful oil works because he was an incredible painter. Yeah, I don't know if you've so, ever seen his cosmic consciousness painting, but it's just, you know, this triptych he did of, you know, the beginnings of life, you know, I like a big bang. I may have. I've seen some books that showed a few of his paintings. He's in almost every remote viewing book there is. So. Right, right, right. So uh, anyhow, so he did, right. I remember him saying, teaching us how to remote view, and you really had to let go and relax into it and stop having any, you had to push away any preconceived ideas and have faith that whatever you found was okay, even if you found nothing, because that has to also be okay with us. Yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, that that's beautiful that you, you did that work with him. And I also studied another work that also had this idea. I don't know if you ever heard of it, Avatar. I have heard of it. I'm not familiar with the details though it, it's 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 it was a i don't know how far uh, um where it is now i took it many years ago but it was this idea of working with all your beliefs and um they didn't have an imagery piece with it it was just working with your beliefs they became more zen like as as they went on later to try and have people dehabituate from uh thinking you know deconstruct pens deconstruct your identities etc they were always deconstructing and then they were just had a process where you'd sort of like go out into the universe so you de deconstruct yourself and and just keep on becoming what they called a no limit being 
I love it. I, I, I do those types of exercises myself and they're amazingly freeing. You know, I've, I've done them with many of my clients and uh, sometimes before I take people into plant medicine ceremonies, I will use a deconstruction meditation for them so that they can experience what it's like to lose their, their boundaries or their ego. Right, right. And, and one of the most common comments I get is, is wow, it's so nice to, to be like that. Why do I bother doing this? I say, uh -huh. well, you know, you <laughs> probably because right. you spent a long time like that. And now you want to taste this. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm not sure how familiar you are with minerals and trace minerals, but minerals are important to our body for many, many functions and minerals and trace minerals also help regulate our hormonal system. And one of the products that I've been using for many years is Shilajay Minerals. But when I got a hold of Shervine's Shilajay from Symbiotica, it was a total notch above anything I've ever tried. So I've got Shervine here to tell us what's special about his Shilajay and how to use it. You know, Sheila Jeet is, uh, you can pronounce it any way you want. I like Sheila Jeet. It makes me want to dance a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the actual product makes me want to dance. Good. I take it on the rise. You know, it's at the center point of Ayurveda. It's, you know, a collection of fulvic minerals, soil, decomposition of plant material. So you're getting all the minerals and it, you're getting it the way Mother Earth provided it and the right. way we can absorb it. And so the way I look at that, it's instant energy and it reduces acidosis across the body. So if you want to reduce and chelate acids out of the body, Shilajit is pretty much the answer and the solution to that. And, you know, it's probably our best seller right now. Everybody's, you know, doing rituals with it on the rise and they're using it throughout the day. It makes for a really good, you know, tonic. It's delicious. Once your body starts getting acclimated to it, the flavor starts to kick in. And, you know, if you're a coffee drinker, if you're a matcha drinker, if you're a tea drinker, this is a really good balancer to keep your body nourished of what you need. Because most people drinking coffee, yes. they're pouring acids and already in it, on, onto an already acidic body. This is a good way to balance that out through the minerals. And if you're not eating certified organic food from good soils, you're eating mineral deficient food. And the minerals in Shilajay are very important for our skin, our nails, and our hair, which a lot of people have problems with. So I think this is a great product across the board for anybody. And our jing, right? So we are mineral deficient. Yeah. Our foods have been dilapidated, right? It's yes. like Franken foods, right? Shilajit is mineralizing you to the blood, to yeah. the bone. And if you're a man, you're really going to feel it, let me tell you. Yeah, well, good. I'm sure the <laughs> women will like that. So um, get your jing yes. with your Shilajay. And Jing, you know, that means your, your juice, your life force, boys. And uh, the nice thing about Shili J is it does not take much at all. No. Uh, a serving is tiny. It's very potent stuff. So it's not like you have to use a lot. It'll last you for quite a while. So go to Symbiotica, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. And on checkout, to get your 15% discount, use the code CHECK15, all caps, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 and remember, check out all their other products because your discount works right across the board. Enjoy. Rachel, imagery is obviously very cost effective and we can all do it in, in our own inner laboratory, which is a beautiful term that you use. I think it's excellent. Um, would you mind taking us through one of your favorite imagination exercises so we can have an experience of the process together? And if you're driving, just listen and do it when you're not driving. 
All right, so what I thought I'd do is just do a very simple exercise to start with uh, and, and not do such a long, longer exercise. Now, remember, these are scripted, but the idea is to let yourself go. And if you don't follow my script, that's fine. You want to go and do what, um, what's natural to you. So I thought we would just start with one uh, called Swallowing the Rainbow. It, it's also used for the Dr. Happy imagery, but um, it's very simple and, it's, and it, it speaks to where people are now with COVID because they're so tied up in feeling uh, distressed and worn out. And this is just like a pick-me-up without having to go all the way out into the universe. We're just picking up some of the vibrations of the universes. I like that because the name of our property is Rainbow. Oh, really? Perfect. It's called Rainbow Hills, and we live in Rainbow, California. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you pick it based on the rainbow? No, we were just shocked that when we found the house, this section of Fallbrook is called Rainbow, and our water district is called the Rainbow Water District. Uh-huh. And as we were approaching the property... At the beginning of the property is a stone wall, and it says Rainbow Hills, and that's the, been the name of the property for since it was built in 95, so we just knew we were home. Absolutely. You read the sign. You didn't have to go any further. Nope. You read the outer sign was telling you this is it. Yes. Uh, that's, which is also part of the work of the imagination, is not only bringing what you find in your imagination out, but learning how to read the outer signs, which are also an image form. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all part of that, as well as uh, we didn't really get a chance to speak about, but the other forms of imagery that we are in contact with is our face and our body shape. And so, you know, I know from your own work about people's body shapes being, you know, mesoderms, mesoderms, you know, uh, mesoderms, Endo. ectoderms, and endoderms, and combinations of that. And um, the face is also, in, in this tradition, was red. Not uh, because our, our bone structure doesn't change so much. Our muscular changes. So uh, it gave us insight into what the person's temperament was. So that's another section of imagery. And my husband used it a lot diagnostically. And if you go to the website, there's some articles about it. Um, so you read the signs that this was your property, which is just incredibly wonderful. Before I give you the imagery, I just want to say I just read, a, I'm reading a book by a Steinerite. Uh, I think he was, he's um, from Holland. And he talked about the rainbow as having been the seven chakras. And that early in, in the way I don't, that Steiner perceived it, which I hadn't understood, was that the chakras were outside of ourselves. And in early, you know, in like Atlantis, we were sort of diffused and we came down into more and more bodily formed, more and more materiality, and the chakras then became very tightly woven with the soul within us. And we became less clairvoyant as a result. Exactly, a lot of yeah. So uh, I thought that was just sort of interesting how he connected the rainbow to the chakras. And But we're doing that. It's on your property, so it's the right exercise to do. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is called swallowing the rainbow, and you want to, the intention is to relieve depression connected with feelings of hopelessness and isolation, or to just internally shift your mood, uh, so you're not connected to, whether it's connected to inside circumstances or outside circumstances. So how we image in this system is that things are pretty quick. So we just uh, close our eyes and sit up straight, and but a relaxed straight, not, you know, military straight. 
And now you're going to start with an out breath. So start with a long out breath through the mouth. And a normal inhalation through the nose. And again, a long out breath through the mouth, letting go of the fatigue and any thoughts you're having and any toxins, just letting it go out of you. And then breathing in again through the nose. And then another long, slow exhalation through the mouth. And on your next exhalation, Imagine you're swallowing a rainbow. What do you sense and feel? And stay with this feeling for a few seconds. And then when you're ready, breathe out and open your eyes. So you see, that took exactly, I don't know, five seconds to do. Mm -hmm. But yet, even in five seconds, if you use your will to remember it, you can switch. Just like you would do in the morning when you said, you know, I'm bringing, I'm, I'm sending out energy and I'm receiving and using that energy. So that all it took you was a couple of seconds in the morning for you to do that on your way to work is how I understood it. I loved it. I, as the rainbow came into my body, the experience I had could be described in metaphor. You know how when you fill a bottle, as it fills up, it goes, you can hear the tone changing. Mm -hmm. And I felt like energy came down into my feet. And then as the rainbow was coming in, it was as though the feeling I got was as though I was drinking the water from our well, which is just powerful, beautiful water. And I was just feeling light fill me up. And then uh, I felt lighter, more um, uh, enlightened. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's beautiful because what it, this whole work is about bringing light into our lives. And of course, the rainbow is light that's been a little bit deconstructed into, into seven colors. But each color, as you know, has its own vibration and its own healing power. So some people might have um, uh, been attracted to just a particular color that filled them up. That would be what they were really needing in themselves. Uh, but generally, you know, it's uh, a rainbow is always a sign of hope. So it reverses that hopelessness that we often uh, feel when we wake up in the morning and we're not, you know, we have to face a Monday or we don't like what we have to do. And you can just do this very quick imagery whenever you need to shift out of um, the doldrums. Yes, it's beautiful. It's simple. It's powerful. It's free. And I think it's also, I think there's a, a deeper element that I'd like to bring up. And that is that you're using the power of your own consciousness to put your intention to doing something that's an act of love or an act of self-confirmation, self-healing, self-realization, self-fulfillment. And I think by practicing these types of things, I know in my own life, it makes me more resilient to challenges, more resilient to stress. 
Because once you realize how effective these things are and how quick they work, you can, you know, you, you, you can, for example, I say to people, how many things that you worried about and obsessed about in your life never turned out to, to right. happen? Right. You know, so if you realize that most of what fears you and ails you is, is more of a projection and you use the same power of projection to see solutions or see possibilities or transformation or dreams coming true, then you will actually use the, the power that we all have within us to create, to create what you want. And that's a far more powerful way to go about your life. What you said is just beautiful. That's exactly right. And unlike um, a lot of imagery that's out there, and it's not to disparage it, but a lot of imagery is very long and uh, drawn out and you're lying down and you are uh, you know, going into a state of deep relaxation where you may make wonderful discoveries. Here, what we're doing is using our intention very quickly to shift ourselves. And it's a, it's a new training because we're not used to using this muscle. And it's just like your physical muscle. You have an imagery muscle that needs to be strengthened because it's so connected into our moods and our feelings and our out and, and our, and our outlook. And the other thing that you said was how much time do we spend in the future and really training people to come back to this moment in your work? Uh, it has to be there because you want to be happy and you can only be happy in this moment. You can't be happy about the future. It, it doesn't, you know, that then you're turning into, uh, fantasy. You, you might, yeah, it turns into fantasy. We can only be here now. So this training of people to come back into the moment and using imagery as a way of coming back and grounding yourself in this moment is really uh, very powerful for people if they can get the hang of it. One way that I use imagery for the future is, for example, if I'm working with someone who doesn't like their body, maybe they're overweight, I have them visualize themselves at say three months, six months down the line. And I say, bring yourself into that body, see yourself as that person and really embody that experience. And that creates what I call, or what in quantum physics is called a strange attractor or an mm -hmm. attractor. And then I say, the secret is not just to do the visualization, but once you finish it, live as that person eat as that person, see right. yourself in the mirror as that person. And then the dream has a magnetic force and, and the visualization of the dream reaches from the future into the present and attracts you in the way you relate to yourself, the way you think about yourself, the choices you make about your diet and your lifestyle. And so I think that is an effective use of imagery in the future, which is all happening from the present, but you're actually creating this beautiful attractor. And interestingly enough, quantum physicists have shown mathematically and scientifically that the future is acting on the present and so is the past. But we tend to orient ourselves so heavily toward the past and we keep recapitulating the same mistakes because that's where we're putting our, our mind, you know? So I think there's that sort of way. I think of that using we it. use it the same way. We speak a slightly different language about it. Um, but it's used exactly the same way that I would, um, 
because when I, uh, the way I was taught to conceive of imagery is it's always happening in the present moment. So we have an aim, but we don't have a goal, right? So you have an aim uh, where you're going in three months, six months, 10 months that you're envisioning. But, and you're exactly, in my world, you're exactly correct in that you, you're embodying it now in this present moment, but you're laying, um, an aim out there for yourself and not getting caught in what I call future goal and future talk where uh, having an expectation that um, you're letting go of the outcome. So you're letting go of the expectation that it's going to manifest. You're trusting and you're, you're putting it into the womb of your consciousness now that it will unfold the next moment. Yeah, I think one of the dangers of what I call futurizing yourself I, I use the term futurizing for a person that keeps saying things like, I'll be happy when I have this much money in the bank. I'll exactly. be happy when I look this way. I'll be happy when I am, am finally married, you know, because people don't realize that's just not the reality of how it works. Or I call pasteurizing. Uh, my life would be better if my mother and father had only done this or if my ex spouse had only loved me more. That's pasteurizing. Which means we use to, the same language. It's wonderful. Yeah, pasteurizing and futurizing. Pasteurizing, I say, when you, pasteurization means you killed the food, so don't. <laughs> well, you're putting it out to pasture, hopefully. Yes, <laughs> letting it go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we already addressed the question I was going to ask you after Doctor Happiness. So, would you like to take us through a visualization for each of the four doctors in, in my system? Dr. Happy, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, and Dr. Movement? Sure. Do you want to do another Dr. Happy? I can do one. Yeah, the, I think there's never an end to the need for those. Okay. So uh, this one is called Be Your Own Hero. And the Great. intention is to become your own heroine master and to overcome obstacles. <clears throat> so close your eyes and breathe out three times slowly. Long, slow exhalations through the mouth and normal inhalations through the nose. And just establish a natural uh, pattern of breathing where you're becoming more relaxed and turning your senses inward. And now acting as your own hero, see yourself overcoming an obstacle in your life. See the obstacle dissolving into smoke and disappearing. And then breathe out and open your eyes. That was good. Yeah. So, you know, we could have done all of your obstacles. And if you were working with me instead of just doing this, you know, we would have uh, discovered if there was an obstacle that was having, you know, was lodged in your body or it's, it's a feeling or a sensation, we would have explored it more. But in these small scripted things, you know, you sort of get your hit and uh, you learn how to then go, I think by doing a lot of imagery, really learning how to create your own imagery. And the other thing is, I think that you already know this, we didn't discuss it, but you can just use your own language to discover where you're stuck. Right. 
So uh, we, I have another one called Blowing Away the Dark Clouds because people speak in vernacular. They're speaking in images all the time, but we're not trained to see us as speaking in images. But people often say, I have a, a, you know, a dark cloud over my head, and then you would just have the person blow it away to the left. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask you, why the left? Is that because that's the feminine side? It's it, in, in the system, it is the feminine side in a lot of systems. But I think that it's um, generally most people are right-handed and the left tends to be the past and the right tends to be the future. Okay, that's interesting. Now, if you're really left-hand dominant, you may find that the, the future feels more left-handed. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to discover for yourself. So um, I... I uh, you know, you can also use uh, the dark clouds diagnostically to see whether a person is able to really blow away the clouds. And if they're not, then you know that you really need to work with them to uh, be able to do that. If they can't do it, you know, easily or they can't see the sunshine, I mean, you're, what you're doing is you're getting uh, a diagnostic as well as a healing in the same modality. I find that that situation arises in people that have what is classically referred to as illness behavior, which happens quite often when someone's had chronic pain or dysfunction for so long, they don't know who they would be without it. Mm -hmm. And so at an unconscious level, there's often fear of healing because they would end up not really knowing who they are because they've become so identified with their pain, pathology, diagnosis, or dysfunction. And so with those people, um, I have to do more of this kind of work in order to help them make that transition. Because the other thing too is, as a lot of people gain so much financial benefit and, right. yeah, and, and, you know, other benefits from their illness or injury that they fall into the trap of wishing they didn't have the problem, but also unconsciously utilizing it as a, you know, <laughs> you know, a, a, some kind of a, Right. You know. They can't afford to give up a disability when they're getting, you know, $800 a month from the government. Right. And, they, yeah. and the government doesn't really uh, have a way around that. Although um, I read a book about, uh, I think it was in Norway or Sweden. It was one in the, one of those countries and uh, maybe it was Denmark where they really speak to where the person is when they have a disability. So they so if a person's an alcoholic and it can only work once a week, they'll have them work once a week. They'll encourage them from where they're at and not immediately take away every support from them when they're recovering from an illness, which America has no ability to do that, to modulate it. I think that's a very wise idea, you know, and, and countries like Denmark and Sweden also have far better systems for pregnant women, for taking care of them, giving them more time. Right. I think they give a year off. You know, it's expensive for the employer because they have to pay them while they're out. But the thing is, is it develops a healthy culture. I mean, what do you have if your kids are all sick because your, your, your pregnancy and your early parenting years are just so unmanageable in the first year that a child's in the world is very stressful for the mother and often, you know, the husband or the father as well. Absolutely. The financial stresses and the, uh, you know, just, you know, the lack of sleep, the whole adjustment to being a parent.
and we give no support to it. Yeah. We're completely asleep as, as a country. That's for sure. And it's costing us. How about Dr. Diet? Okay. So this one I thought would, uh, uh, is one of my favorite. So, uh, it's called the chlorophyll and the intention is to heal and detoxify yourself from illness or environmental toxins, or even if you don't have anything just to heal, just to take in, just like you take in your greens, you're taking in greens now, imaginally. So everyone, uh, you close your eyes again and breathe out three times slowly. with those long exhalations, you can see all that you don't need coming out of you as, as gray smoke and wafting away from you. And as you breathe in, you're breathing in the blue golden light that surrounds us all the time. And on your next exhalation, see, sense, and feel yourself entering your own inner garden. So open the gate and go to the center of the garden where there's a tree planted. And sit down and put your back against the tree. And feel your feet on the ground. And sense your toes and fingers becoming long and rooting down in the earth. And as you're sitting there, find yourself merging with the tree. So feel the sap rising within the tree and rising within you as well. And it's bringing you nourishment for your entire being. And now see this tree is full of very florid leaves. They're flourishing leaves, big leaves. And the branches are thick and strong. And these leaves are pouring chlorophyll into your system. And it's coming in through all the pores of your skin and through everywhere, through your scalp, your face, your chest, your abdomen, and through all the body, all your limbs are being filled with this green chlorophyll. And as the chlorophyll is streaming from top to bottom throughout your body, it's absorbing all the toxins, inflammation, can be any precancerous cells that don't belong there, any tumors, any fatigue. And it's removing them and taking them away and cleansing you and giving you strength and well-being as it streams down through your body. And then see and sense and feel the chlorophyll coming out through the soles of your feet and disappearing into the earth carrying away all the cells that you don't need and are unhealthy and any inflammation. And you're seeing it as black or gray strands that are buried deep into the earth. 
and now hug the tree and retrace your steps to the garden gate and open the gate and close it behind you. And if you had a key, put the key in your pocket, knowing that you can return to your garden whenever you wish. And it's there for you to refresh, restore, rebalance. And notice how you look and feel. And then breathe out and open your eyes. Another good one. I actually liked that one because it was a little longer, so I had more time to uh, allow the process to unfold itself. So it was like I was being um, drawn into a story, and I found that sometimes as you were talking, things were already happening mm-hmm. all by themselves. That's and, exactly right. Yeah. You were you it was it wasn't you were no longer leading it and I wasn't leading it. It was just flowing through. Yes, it, it almost as though it had its own message for me and its own experience it wanted me to have. And mm-hmm. it was interesting too because I had the same garden pop up as when you and I were practicing oh, previously right. together. And there's no tree in my garden, but this time, as you said, imagine the tree in the garden a tree of light grew out and it went all the way through the sky into infinity. But then I said in my mind, where's the top of my tree? And then it just reshaped (laughs) itself so I could see the top of the tree. But then when I let go of where's the top, it just turned back into this tree that just went forever. And it was full of uh, many different colors of light, not, not like a rainbow, but, like strands of color woven together um, into the shape of a tree, but it was very, very vibrant, very powerful. That's really beautiful. And you can see the difference between when it's scripted and when when you go more unscripted and you can just become very free and it just emerges. And that's what we want. We want this to be a stepping stone. So if you don't have a top to your tree, you don't need to create one. Right. And before you mentioned the black strands, the toxins had already, I'd already, my, my psyche was already down in the root system and they were coming out of the tips of the roots and all the microorganisms were looking at them, picking them up like little boxes and going, Oh, you won't believe what I can make out of this. And they were storing them. <laughs> That's like, just beautiful. You know, like, uh-huh. Oh yeah, we can use this. Thank you. Like <laughs> what, right. what I was getting rid of, they thought was a great gift. And I thought, Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So this is a kind of, uh, this is an imagery you can use three times a day. If you're healing, you could, you just use it once in the morning. And again, the way the imagery, uh, that I was learned was to do it in rhythm. So you do it for 21 days and then you take a seven day break. Then you can start again for 21 days and you're going to figure out how fast you need to do this imagery. Some people are very quick. It's hard when we're doing this big group imagery because maybe I'm going a little fast or slow for somebody uh, and I can't get any feedback. You know, when I'm working personally, then somebody will say, "Uh, you know, they'll raise a finger to let me know, 
don't go on yet. Um, but this you can just do yourself. And if you don't remember it, you can record it in your own voice so that you're giving your own voice, you're getting a feedback of yourself telling yourself how to heal. And um, after a few times, don't be surprised if it changes. I mean, yours just, you know, took off on its own anyway. But I don't know, maybe the next time you go up there, you're going to go and climb up that tree to infinity for all I know. Well, that sounds like a great idea. Right? Because um, there's no, it's a, it, you know, this is no limit being as, as much as far as we can get. And things happen so quick in the imagination uh, that, um, you know, anything can happen. Hi, everybody. I imagine some of you are finding that your mind is not as sharp as it was or that you can't seem to remember things as well, such as the last page you read in the book or the key points from a meeting you just attended recently. Do you feel that your brain is taking longer to come online or that your thinking gets muddled or fuzzy when you've got a lot to get done? If so, Organifi Pure may be just the magic you need. A key ingredient in Organifi Pure, called Neurofactor, showed a significant impact on brain-derived neurotropic factor, which has been widely reported to play a critical role in neuronal development, maintenance, repair, and protection against neurodegeneration. The certified organic combination of herbs in Organifi Pure not only enhances mental clarity and promotes brain-derived neurotropic factor to stimulate the development of new neural pathways, it aids in enhanced digestion, which is important because many cognitive problems are symptoms of poor digestion. To get your Organifi Pure, go to organifi.com forward slash check 20. That's organifi.com forward slash check 20. Get 20% off with your promo code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's capitals, check 20. Enjoy Organifi Pure. You know, you, you triggered a thought in me that I think is important to share. You know, most people have a hard time conceiving of the infinite. But I remind them that they are in the finite. Right. It's beautiful. You are in the finite. That's why... You know, it's like I tell my students, they say, if God is unconditional love, then why is this all here? And I say, because unconditional love had to create conditions so that it could love itself unconditionally. <laughs> and there's the infinite. The unconditional love is the infinite, but it creates the finite so that it can, can identify and have an experience right. because as the infinite, it, it's everywhere and nowhere at the same time, which is like the old saying, why did God create time? So everything didn't happen all at once. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in Kabbalah, they say that God retracted, you know, itself in order to make space for us to be, to shine back, right? So we could mirror back, you know, himself to himself. Yes. So how about uh, Dr. Quiet? Dr. Quiet. Ah, okay. So, Dr. Quiet, uh, I think a lot of uh, the, I'm going to let you tell me what you think the audience will like. I have insomnia, I have anxiety, I have burying the past, and I have heartache. These are all aspects of not being quiet. So, I know insomnia is a very um, a large piece of your uh, uh, work that you work with people. So, 
Tell me what you think they'd like. Something that would help people sleep, I think, is really good. Okay. So I'm going to do one. Uh, let's see. The, um, let's do the Sandman exercise. But most people know about the Sandman. He comes and he puts sand in your eye and gets sleepy. Yeah, kid so story. Right, that's a a riff on on a very old thought. Right, so everybody, uh, close your eyes again. And the intention: this is for insomnia, uh, especially if you wake up in the middle of the night, which a lot of people do now. Right, they they get they'll sleep for two or three hours and then they'll awaken. So you can use that for that type, or if just to go to sleep normally at the the beginning. So. Of course, put you're going to be lying down when you do this. And uh, you're going to close your eyes again and breathe out slowly for a number of times. And this time you're going to take seven cycles of relaxing when you're doing this at home. So you're coming into a very relaxed state and just feeling the breath moving through you. When you feel relaxed, take your daily concerns and leave them in a metal box at the edge of the sea and put all of the concerns in that you've taken and carried with you all day long. And close the box. And now see a giant wave come to shore. And see the wave taking the box out, way, way out into the ocean. Where it sinks to the very bottom, to the very, very deepest part of the ocean. And breathe out one time. And now lie down on the sand and as you're looking out to the horizon, see the sun setting below the horizon. And close your eyes while lying there and no one sense that the sandman approaches you and sprinkles the sand of sleep over your closed eyes putting you back to sleep again. So keep your eyes closed and sleep tight. So in this one, I wouldn't have you breathe out and open your eyes again, of course. But uh, So there are many, many insomnia exercises. I have a lot in the, um, the PTSD book because so many vets have sleeping issues. It, it, you know, they have chronically on guard. You know, I have ones for, you know, having clay soldiers out there to protect you. I have another one where you check the perimeter, which was very popular with them, uh, where they do a mental check and make everything safe before they go to bed. Yes, that's a good idea because that sort of feeds the reptilian mind. Because, you know, the reptile's primary concerns is, am I safe? Uh-huh. Can I eat? And then it's time to procreate. So at, at, our, at the very core of our 
brainstem are those three concerns, safety, food, and procreation. So because most people today feel so unsafe, if they don't address that one, they're probably not going to ever really truly relax. Right. And they're going to be overeating as a result. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We know that. Or stopping to eat. I mean, it seems to be two types of people, the way they handle stress, those that stop eating and those that overeat. Right. I, I wouldn't know from my background how to stop eating, but uh, but there are plenty that, that do stop eating, unfortunately, with this enormous rise in anorexia. Yes, unfortunately. Do you want to do uh, one for anxiety since that's such a big issue? Sure. Let's do it. It's, again, a short exercise. And don't um, diminish the power of an exercise because it's not long. And you need to take as long as you want to do it. So this one's called the net of anxiety. And again, you're going to close your eyes and breathe out three times slowly. And if you like, you can count down as you breathe out from three to one. And when you get to one, you can see one growing very tall and bright. And know that you're doing the net of anxiety exercise to relieve anxiety, and it's taking a few seconds. On your next exhalation, see, sense, and feel the net of anxiety wrapped tightly around you. And breathe out one time slowly and remove the net, knowing that anything is possible in the imagination and you can have with you whatever you need to remove the net. And know that as you do this, the anxiety is disappearing. And then breathe out and open your eyes. In that one, I found myself laying on a beach where the waves crash. Mm -hmm. And then I just intuitively sensed all I've got to do is roll. Mm -hmm. And the net just unrolled itself. And right when... I had the net unrolled, a wave came and just washed over me and took any leftover stress out of my body out to the ocean. That's beautiful. Right. So you found, and and I love that you knew how to reverse it by just making a spiralic movement that we, you know, we had talked about a few days ago and uh, reversing the constriction. Yeah. What I love about these things, at least in my own inner experiences, it's like you start the process, but then something happens inside of me and it's already like it knows what needs to be done all by itself. And I just get taken for the ride. You know, I I find for me, I love the mystery of wondering what's going to happen when I do this one, you know? Uh That's, that's really nice. I, um, I think with anxiety, this is a powerful exercise, but it's also really helpful to ask somebody how they feel 
what anxiety looks like to them because every word mm. has an image. And if we can find the image, then we can also ask them, well, what's the opposite of that word? And what's the image associated with the opposite? And that's a very easy way for people to get in touch with their own inner um, image and their own inner encyclopedia of, of their beliefs and images and uh, fears and you know all that cauldron that's within us. They can easily access it in their own encyclopedia of the imagination for themselves. Right when you said the words, see what anxiety looks within themselves, I had the image of myself as a big turkey and the farmer was walking toward it with a gun because it was Thanksgiving. Right, right, right. <laughs> or exactly. Christmas. And that that's what anxiety feels like to me, knowing that somebody's coming to do something terrible to you. <laughs> right, exactly. Because that's what anxiety is. It's unknown, but I mean, might be known, but it's it's future oriented. They're just about to do something. And if that were the case, then I would ask you how to reverse it. What's the reverse of that? Either what's the reverse of that picture or um, how do you correct that picture? Become the correct? farmer. You become the farmer. Okay. <laughs> right. And make sure you give the turkey lots of love as you're transforming it into a human. Exactly. That's a beautiful, uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's fun. You know, you know, Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be on the uh, dollar bill, not the eagle. He thought it was the wild turkey was a much better choice instead of what he thought was a predator. That's interesting. I didn't know that. How about doctor movement? Okay, so doctor movement has to deal again with um two I want to just do two two of them maybe if we can sure. have it unless you'll tell me. So the first thing is, you know, movement has to, depression is the opposite of movement. So if somebody's depressed, which again in covid we find a lot of people are having uh they feel very constricted physically, they felt constricted uh emotionally and mentally, isolated mentally uh from their friends. So you can just take a spiral and draw a spiral on paper going from a uh, counterclockwise or clockwise and keep on drawing spirals for a couple of minutes on a piece of paper with the intention of getting rid of the depression and the stasis, mm. right? So you're using something in the morning to help set your day, just like you would do the chlorophyll exercise. It's a physical exercise instead of um, an imaginal one. And the spiral is like imagination. It's an open system. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like it because it's, there's a physical component to it. So I feel that when there's a physical component to a visualization, your body uh, is more apt to participate because it's engaged in the release through the, you know, just like you talked about uh, the tree and seeing the black filaments of stress leaving your body, you, you can actually do something like see the stress leaving as though it's leaving the pen, creating the spiral, or exactly, you can, you can see yourself spinning like a, a a dancer or a Sufi making the beautiful rotation to symbolize the rotation of the universe. You know, um, I I taught a class on labyrinths, and you know now they have labyrinths or sp spirals, but they're just uh, where you can go inside or outside, right? You you're reversing your your steps 
First you're going inwardly and then you're going outwardly if you walk a spiral. And now they have ones where you can just do it with your finger. Right. The Angie, same idea, right? Angie teaches classes on, on how to make labyrinths and we have one here that she built by hand. It's a, uh, probably about, uh, I would say, 25 yards uh, mm -hmm. across and it's all built to the four directions and she uses finger labyrinths. And uh, So, right. You can do that also for depression. Yeah. Right, the same spiralic movement. We want to keep us uh, in that spiral. I love it. And so a right. spiral is a core pattern in the universe. Really, it's one of the most fundamental patterns of creation. Exactly. Uh, right. It is the. It is the. It is the. It's the movement of creation, of either going inwardly or outwardly. I think you already know about this book, uh, "The Mystic Spiral" by Jill Purse. It's such a beautiful book incredibly beautiful book very well printed very well laid out great art uh and really deep and profound geometry and metaphysics really i saw just recently that she actually has a very old bbc uh documentary she did on the spiral back in 19 in the 1970s afterwards wow. she got very interested in music and vibrational issues right Right. She never wrote the sequel to the spiral that she spoke about in the book, but uh, you can see it on BBC on YouTube. If you just okay. put her, her, uh, her name in. I will. Jill Purse, BBC Plus, YouTube. Exactly. It'll, it'll show up immediately. That's great. So I have another one that I, that I think really um, is very common, again, for uh, doctor movement. And it has to do, you use it for back pain or for doubt. Uh, and, you know, back pain in my system, you know, we read where the illness, where we're having our troubles, because it's telling us something about uh, the underlying issue in our social context. And often people have back pain when they have money issues. Not always, but it can be because, you know, the back, the lower back, of course, is our stability in our country. Money is the equivalent of having stability. Yes. So it's not uncommon that if you're having a lot of uh, difficulties around money, that you also have back issues. And you know, back issues, you know better than I, are what brings people into the doctor more than anything else. Yes, it's the most common orthopedic injury in the world. Right. So here's a, a very quick um, imagery exercise for to heal back as well as to overcome doubt. And we'll see as we do the imagery what doubt has to do with and why it overcomes doubt. So everyone, so close your eyes and breathe out three times slowly. And see yourself in profile in the shape of a question mark. And notice the expression on your face. And then breathe out one time. And now see yourself in profile becoming an exclamation point as you now face forward. How do you look and feel? And then breathe out and open your eyes. I feel exclamational. Uh-huh. You do. You feel quite up. Most people feel quite upright. 
Yes. And, uh, and uh, stable. It was interesting, though. My body wanted to become the question mark as I visualized it. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I had a thought that, you know, I don't think you suffer from back pain and that you would have to sort of create this for yourself. You'd have to create a difficulty in this area of back pain money that doesn't exist for you. So I was wondering how it was going to, you know, how your experience would be. Well, I've had plenty of back pain, usually self-induced by too much ego, trying to outlift young super stud athletes, which oh. I usually do. <laughs> but then unlike them, I pay for it for about three weeks while I heal from being too full of myself. <gasps> I, I, I got that. Actually, <laughs> you know, when I heard your interview with Jason from a couple of weeks ago, I was really impressed that you had him reverse exactly what he thought he was supposed to be doing, where after two years of this intense exercise program, you said, enough is enough. You need to go to the other extreme now so you can come into balance and yes. learn different ways. And it was really, um, it was a remarkable intervention. It shocked him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you want to give with imagery and with all healing, you want to give a little tiny shock because it's the shock that helps people make a new response. Too big a shock isn't helpful. No, but a yeah. little shock here and there, uh, is, uh, it revitalizes the body, like going into cold water. Yes. The next thing I wanted to ask you about is using imagery for healing past or present traumas. And I wanted to tie that in with Mark Wulin's work, It Didn't Start With You, is, is the title of his book. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a lot of, he talks about primarily about three generations of influence through the DNA or the family tree, but there's a lot of gen uh, research now going as far, far as back as 14 generations with hard scientific research. Wow. So, um, you know, and also people get diagnosed with the cancer gene, fat gene, and they believe all that stuff. So how, how would you, how effective do you feel imagery is and how do you approach healing things like generational trauma or just maybe past wounds, like somebody who's still, you know, stuck with the pain of a divorce and can't move forward. So I think let's start with the easiest and then we'll go backwards into generational sure. stuff. So, and you know, in the Bible, it says that, uh, I don't know, three generations, you know, that, that there's three generations, it's seven generations that we're looking back to four and then three forward, right? So in this work, you can heal both the past generations and also the future, right? Right. You can lay a new foundation for them for the future to unfold differently. And you can also correct uh, what was, um, you know, ancestral issues as well. And again, we just use imagery to do this. So the way that I like to think about it for most people is to think that when you correct a memory, which we know is an embodiment, not just of an image, but it's really on a cellular level and a holding level in, in you know, your musculature, you know, there's all sorts of um, somatic holdings when you're holding on to trauma or onto a bad memory. So when you do that, uh, you're not correcting the event itself necessarily. You don't have to think that you're, you know, you don't have to make yourself believe that you're correcting the event itself. What you're doing is you're creating a buffer because what you can correct is your response to a memory and you can rework the memory because memories are quite malleable and, and like, um, 
that famous movie, Rashomon, everybody is, is never seeing the actual fact of what is. We're fabricating it all the time within ourselves. So we have the possibility to reformat the memory. And in that case, um, I'm not going to do an imagery here, but I'll tell you a story instead where um, this uh, man came to see my husband and he was really angry at his mother. He hadn't spoken to her. He was, I think, in his 30s or 40s. He hadn't spoken to her in, in uh, 10 years. He hadn't spoken to his mother. And so Jerry uh, said, well, what's the memory? If I asked you, like, if we were to go way back, what is it that, that is holding you in this pattern? And he said, oh, I have a memory. When I was very young, my mother and I were in a store together. And I was making, a, you know, I was being disruptive. And she grabs me by the ear and she pulls me out of the store. And I was very angry and very red. And so Jerry said, and let's say we corrected that. So he has the young man go back into the memory. And the young man sees that he's back with his mother. And when he's making, um, being disruptive and his mother is going through his ear, instead he picks up her hand imaginally and he puts his little, takes it away from his ear and he puts her hand into his hand and they walk out uh, of the store quietly without the embarrassment. And after that simple imagery exercise, the man actually contacted his mother. That's great. So that's just a simple way of correcting images. Now, it gets complicated because people have all sorts of beliefs and images and these uh, correcting of memories can be quite long, could be... Or they can be short, you know, but you can go back, you know, in your, uh, to your teen years and to your childhood memories, etc. You can go back into the womb and correct a memory of, of your parents and what you might have seen or heard. So it's all open to the imagination. And you can even go back into, uh, if you have a generational uh, issue that's ancestral, maybe it's genetic or maybe it's a, what um, I call psychogenetic. It's not that we inherit the gen the gene because we now know that everything is an epi that so much of what we think are genes are really expressed in the epigenetics, right? right? So here we're going back and we're going back to the ancestor, not even necessarily knowing who the ancestor is, and letting yourself be open to receive what you receive, and correcting whatever emerges from that. And if you see that there's something that needs to be corrected, you cut the cords. You cut, imaginally, you cut your connection to that uh, event. So that's one way of doing it. The other way is to go into your telomeres, for instance, for aging and correct them with golden thread and new golden caps, for instance. Yes. The telomeres, for everybody that doesn't know, that's the end of the genome, if I remember right. Isn't that the tail end of the genome? Yeah, it's the tail ends. They get frayed, and that's what they now believe is creating aging, that when it's do it, it, they're getting frayed and they can't really reproduce properly. So here we imaginally go in and we, we repair the DNA. We can repair, you know, the double helix. We can repair uh, uh, the telomere. There's, you know, there's no end to where we can go in because what we're doing in imagery is always bringing light to a situation. What was in darkness, we're bringing light to. So, and the way you do it imaginally is you can turn your, your eyes inward and just travel to wherever you need into your body, have everything you need and correct what you need to be corrected. And as to, you know, someone once uh, said to my daughter, 
that his grandmother was in the Holocaust. Obviously, she survived, but um, he could somehow feel himself back there in her, uh, like her embryos. So we would have him go back and uh, relive whatever he needed to relive and correct whatever he needed to correct there so that he could uh, wash out that feeling which was still haunting him. Because uh, I, I don't know about so much trauma other than um, with Holocaust survivors, but I've seen three generations. I had a friend who was like a third generation back uh, who suffered a great deal. Uh, she was actually the child of two Holocaust survivors. They had both been in camps. And uh, just the, forget about any genetics, the psychogenetics that were at play in the household were immense for her. Yes, very much so. You know, turmeric's really, really hot now. There's a lot of scientific research on it, but they're not all created the same. So I brought Autumn Smith on to tell you about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex so you know exactly what the benefits are and why you, like me, should get your turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. Autumn, tell us about your turmeric complex. At Paleo Valley, we are big believers in food as medicine. And so turmeric, of course, it has beat drugs out. We know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has brain benefits. We know it has joint benefits. But what most people don't know is that a lot of turmeric supplements only contain one isolated compound of turmeric called curcumin. And so what we did instead was create a complex. We added organic turmeric and then ginger and rosemary and clove, which were some of the most DNA protective spices studied. And we created a complex. We added organic coconut powder and pepper for absorption. And so we We've created a really high quality, highly bioavailable turmeric complex that will hopefully help you to feel your best. And all you have to do to check it out is go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 to save 15%. Now, we talk about the issue of PTSD from the pandemic, and there's also just a lot of it in the world. Can you talk about or share how we can use imagery for healing PTSD? Sure. I think the first way to heal it, um, it's similar to correcting the memories. Remember, most of them, there, there are lots of aspects to it. So I'm just going to narrow myself to hypervigilance right now. But the first thing and the way that my co-author of uh, Reversing the Trauma of War worked with veterans, uh, she worked with them for four or five years, was that she had them uh, deal with everyday issues. Instead of trying to deal with the trauma, they were quite traumatized. They didn't want to talk about this stuff. So first she had to give them a sense of safety and reduce the amount of hypervigilance and stress that they were experiencing every day. And she did this by um, helping them to use short imagery uh, to um, reorganize their lives in certain areas. Like if somebody was very... Um, had a short fuse, right? She would go and she just taught them simple things like separating themselves, becoming aware of the short fuse before he got angry at a customer because he worked in customer service. And he'd go to a closet and even without imagery, he would just do some breathing exercises. That was the simplest. Then she would give people things who had um, trouble being in public spaces 
right? They don't like to be around a lot of noise. They don't like to be around public spaces. They don't feel safe. There's always, the, they're looking around all the time. They don't want to be hemmed in. So she had him uh, do an imagery exercise for him to be able to go to church, right, every day. So he not only imagined going to church, but then he also set it up so that when he went to church, he would be there uh, after everybody sat down. So he'd sit at the last, you know, on the last pew. So he could make a quick exit before the end of the service. And slowly but surely, this would have a spillover effect into other areas of his life because imagery is holographic. You know, you change one area of, of a person's life, it changes many others. You do work on Dr. Happy and Dr. Movement changes also. Sure, yeah. So this is the same way she worked holographically with them uh, and started where they wanted to start. They didn't want to start on remembering the most traumatic imagery of themselves or being uh, totally in their bodies. Uh, so um, she would work with them on a driving rage because a lot of them uh, had driving issues because they were, especially in the later wars, some of them had issues with the cold, um, some had addictions. So she gave them shorter imagery to do to help handle the day-to-day -day stressors so that they'd become less hypervigilant in their everyday activities. And then she could go back in for those who were wanting to do that to go and face the actual traumatic ex uh, experience. So in hypnosis, they often just sort of, um, one way they do it is they just go and skip over it. You see your, your, the, tra the trauma, like you're looking at a movie and you just jump over it or you bury it in the sea. But that's not the only way to do it. Um, uh, you can also go back to the trauma and rework it. And it takes, you know, it may take a few times and it probably isn't going to happen after one time. You know, it, it, it needs some repetition and you usually need to work with somebody. Uh, so it works a little bit differently than some of the other methods of doing it. Uh, but um, a colleague of my husband, she lived in Israel and she worked with a lot of Israeli vets over the years because they have a lot of trauma there. It's, they're very, you know, it's, it, it's uh, you know, they're sort of in a cauldron all the time. The whole population has PTSD, although they've managed it. You know, the, the Israelis, the Palestinians, everybody, they're all living together uh, on, on, on a keg. That's, uh, and, and, you know, ready to explode. And she worked with them, uh, using imagery. And, and of course, you know that there's new work out on using mirrors for, for, um, pain with, uh, phantom limb. Yeah. Ramachandran. Dr. Ramachandran. From, oh, so you uh, already know him, right? Yeah. Uh huh. I've studied some of his work and I saw a documentary where he talked about how he developed the awareness that he could help people. He right. Phantom he, can, limb he, can, pain. he can fix, he can, he, right. He's changing. He's using an outside mirror instead of an inside mirror to change it. Yeah. It was very fascinating. Right. So, um, so I think with most people, you know, trauma is, is now becoming a basket term, although everybody is feeling traumatized. Uh, and, and we need to distinguish between sort of the situational adjustment reactions that we're stuck in and people who really have long-term trauma you know, abusive relationships. But I think that um, a good place for everybody to start is just to use one thing where you're feeling very traumatized around and then, uh, and, and work outward in, you know, concentric circles. Right. 
Well, for our last exercise, since COVID's really all the lockdowns and all the pressures have caused people to feel quite constricted. And, you know, there's a lot of concern over loss of freedoms and, and many people feel they're losing their freedoms. Um, how can anyone create freedom when they feel confined in their relationships, their job, their social situation, or the events of the world? For me, everything starts with your own inner work. And uh, the point of, of spiritual life, in part, is to not be influenced by all the outside influencers. And that really means becoming a watcher of your thoughts, of your feelings, of your, of, uh, of, um, your images. Right. Right? So that's one part. And then the other part is to take different actions in our lives. And as part of healing and becoming our own inner watcher, uh, you can use imagery to help you affect changes to start to feel free. So I have a, a very nice uh, imagery called the mummy that encapsulates that. But there's no question that when you start working with images and changing your inside attitude towards things, uh, that eventually it's going to spring out into a different um, experience of your life. And then natural changes happen. I think you've spent a lot of your earlier life really working on the outside in. And then as you went, then you began to teach people how to go from inside to bring it out again. Yes, because I found that when problems on the outside didn't heal, that there was their history involved and their beliefs involved. So I, I ultimately, through my own progression, found that you can't really do good healing work on the outside only because most of it's coming from one's inner sense of self and their perception of themselves, their perception of events. So, you know, through the evolution of me always asking what's causing that, what's causing that, you, you end up on realizing that most healing's an inside job. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, Jesus said that wonderful statement that what comes out of you is far more toxic than what's coming inside of you. So you're really releasing uh, the inner toxicities of, you know, low self-esteem, of uh, trauma, of um, uh, depression and apathy, of boredom, of anger, of held resentment. You know, people hold a huge amount of resentment and it really wears them out. Uh, so you need to work with the, you know, all these things, apathy, fear, resentment, anger, boredom, you know, even contentment can be a place of, uh, uh, it's just, it's just a moment in time. Eventually, unless you've really worked on yourself, uh, you really, um, you know, you're going to be at the effect of the world instead of, and, and be enslaved by the world instead of being free. So to me, it's always about, freedom and finding freedom inwardly. And of course, we use um, imagery to light a spark within ourselves. Yes, I love that. I think it's very true. Because the imagery itself is a form of light. So there's the natural spark. Exactly. You're, 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 you're lighting yourself up. So I, um, I'm going to end with this, uh, this one called the mummy. Sure. And it's to find uh, freedom and liberation. And uh, it starts by closing your eyes and breathing out three times slowly. Okay. 
taking those nice, long, slow exhalations where you're releasing all of the uh, norepinephrine that's scarring you and all the carbon dioxide and all the toxins that we don't need on a physiological basis either. And you're taking in the blue golden uh, energy that's formed from the sky and from the sun. And now imagine you're a mummy in a sarcophagus. And you're in a cave within a mountain. And you're still living after thousands of years. But you can move only the little finger of each hand. So you manage to find the end of the bandage wrapped around your body. And you can wind it into a small ball that grows larger as you undo the bandage. And as you unroll this ball and unroll uh, the ball, every minute you're feeling freer and freer and more and more lifelike until you've entirely unrolled the bandage. So you now have a large ball in your hand of bandage and you try and move and you find you can do it easily. So get up and stand up in the sarcophagus and get out of the sarcophagus and see that you're in a nice cave where the walls are painted in a very ancient way. It's superb, but you have no time to check as you're eager to see what's going on outside. And you manage to find your way out of the cave. And you realize it's night, a very starry, starry night. Now look at the stars and throw the st to the stars the ball made of the bandage that was wrapped around you. In this moment, you feel entirely free, and you see that your ball has become a star. Now in this starlight, walk downhill and arrive in the town where you live in front of your own house. Go in and know you are free, not only liberated, but free. You are both breathe out one time and know that you're both the same and different and that you've made great progress in a short time. And then breathe out and open your eyes. I have to share, I had a funny experience with that one. Okay. I, th I threw the ball up and a star opened its mouth, swallowed it, and burped. That's terrific. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's always good to have a sense of humor, you know. Yeah, even the stars think it's uh, fun to play tricks with you. Uh-huh, and to just play with you. Yeah.
Well, what a what a great, you know, what I really loved about this podcast together is there was so much practical application. You know, normally podcasts can be very deep and and a lot of like mental work, but what a neat experience to have all these inner experiences from, you know, all the doctors to freeing yourself of health issues to unwinding yourself as a mummy. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. And um, I think it was a great opportunity for us to really look at the power we have within ourselves to really create whatever we want in our lives and, and not be um, fall into the trap of being a victim to whether it be what's going on in the world or what people are watching on the news or whatever, but really realize that everyone's got the opportunity to create their own world and their own dream within the dream of myriads of other people's meaning just because everybody else is sad, sacked and not living fully doesn't mean that we have to do the same and that we all have tools that we can work with. Right. And you know, you work on yourself and the rest of the world is transformed. It does. Yeah. And and that's, that's, that's our way of helping. I tell people, if you want to make the world a better place, just change yourself for the better and, and, and you can leave knowing that you did that. Exactly. Don't, you don't have to be concerned about, you know, in, uh, in, uh, there's a saying in the, in the ethics of the father that you don't have to be, uh, start the work or finish the work. All you need is to do your own part of the work. So don't get overwhelmed by all the difficulties. Just start on one little area, you know, you're on your own deconditioning on your own anger. And when you work on that, it'll translate into, in, you know, it'll reverberate. Beautiful. Rachel, where can people find your books, your website, and whatever else you're offering? So I, I teach classes in imagery and dreams, uh, in uh, will work, where you really work on a lot of your beliefs. And uh, you can just go to my website, and it's at www.drjerryepstein.org. It's uh, with a J for Jerry. And uh, you'll see I have resources. There's a ton of information on, as I said, on so many aspects. You can just on articles, imagery, dreams, all free. And then there's also a place you can buy uh, books and CDs, etc. Great. Right? What and a great podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you got a YouTube. What's the YouTube channel? Oh, my God. I, I just put in Dr. Jerry Epstein plus YouTube. Okay, great. So just put Dr. Jerry Epstein and, and it'll come up. And imagery and imagination. I, I There's a very long URL, but I haven't figured out how to shorten it. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm sure anybody can find it with Dr. Jerry Epstein. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. I, I really enjoyed our our meeting together, too. I. I, I, you know, I really felt your, your vitality. I still feel it through the podcast and just, it's always, for me, it's amazing to see the difference in the energy and the presence of someone that loves what they do and believes in what they do. And, you know, it's nice to see you at this stage of your life still being so vital and so active, you know? Well, I have to say that I learned a lot just from looking at your information on your site. Oh, good. <laughs> not just not just talking to you, but just lear- learning about the four doctors. It was really fun. And uh, even your whole system has been, uh, it's been enchanting for me too. And I really Thank enjoyed you. you. You're just so warm. 
and Thank put you. everyone really at ease and are so well organized. <laughs> like your your background staff are just terrific as as you are. Thank you. Well, I'm the emperor. In, in my my birth sign in tarot is the emperor, and my personality path is the fool. <laughs> ah, okay. So that's great because you're always open and uh, to whatever happens to be. I'm a twenty two. Right. So you're at the end of the tarot, not at the beginning. Yes. That's great. Yes. Well, thank you. And thank you to our sponsors for making such beautiful, excellent products and running sustainable companies that make the world a better place. Thank you to each of you for listening and growing and being the change and sharing your love with everybody else. Thanks for sharing the episodes. And thank you for anything you buy from the sponsors that supports the podcast. And uh, let's all work together to make the world exactly how we dream it to be. I just want to add one thing. I just, I forgot. I just really want to thank my own teachers for being able to present this because this is definitely not my work. I have a little bit of my fingerprint, but uh, Colette uh, Abuker Muscat, who's no longer with us, and Jerry Epstein, no longer with us, and even some of the uh, other uh, imagery exercises, some of them were from people who made them up on the go uh, that I've had uh, access to. So I really want to thank everyone too well i appreciate that and i'm sure that though their bodies are no longer with us they're probably very close to you contributing to everything that you're doing i have to tell you just one short story about this uh for some reason i was like having a lot of dreams about missing my appointment with you oh yeah i had (laughs) i had at least three dreams about this Right. And the dream I woke up this morning was I was with Jerry, who I haven't dreamt of. He's been gone for three and a half years. I haven't dreamt of him hardly at all. But he's sitting next to me on like a, you know, like a a table. You know, he's here, I'm here. And uh, he says, well, do you want to hang out? And I said, no, I have to prepare for the podcast. (laughs) So that was uh, my Jerry dream. So I guess he's here with us. He saw that we (laughs) did our podcast successfully. Yes, I thank you. I think he was probably excited that you were going to get to share so much. (laughs) I don't know. All right. (laughs) Anyway. Rachel, fantastic. Thank you, everybody. I look forward to sharing another great podcast with you next time. Lots of love. A whole great spirit. We are safe. We are home. We are whole. It is done. It is done. It is done. Bye-bye. Amen. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Rachel Epstein. You can find out more about Dr. Epstein's and Rachel's work at drjerryepstein.org. That's drjerryepstein.org. And also at reversingwartrauma.com. To reach Rachel directly, you can email her at rachelepsteinjd at gmail.com. Rachel is offering Paul's listeners 10% off any book or CD set on our website. Go to drjerryepstein.org forward slash catalog and use the promo code CHECK10. That's uppercase C, uppercase H, uppercase E, uppercase K, one zero. And the website is drjerryepstein.org forward slash catalog. 
follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikila.com. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at czechinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind and to live their dreams. 